Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Hello, if you're hearing this, that means you get the internet. And if you get the internet, that means you can watch the live stream of the live show that we just did recently. We did a half the News Olympian, half Potterless live stream live in North Carolina, and it was an absolute blast for TNO. We did the first two chapters of the first book in the Heroes of Olympus series. And for Potterless, we did an improvised Big Brother format where we put a bunch of Harry Potter pets in a battle to see which magical pet would reign supreme. The video has gorgeous visuals and crisp audio, and it's a multi-cam set so it feels very dynamic like you were there you can watch that stream until march 17th at 11 59 p.m and you can get tickets at my website shubes schub.es slash tour again that is schub.es slash tour to watch the replay of the half potterless half the new Olympian live show that we did recently i hope you enjoy it so now we've hit like robber baron taxi cab monopolies <laughs> in new mexico love it this podcast is now about labor and public transit <laughs> Good. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Newest Olympian. My name is Mike Schuber. I'm the titular Newest Olympian. I'm a 30-year-old man who never read the Percy Jackson books as a kid, but I'm reading them for the first time as an adult because I'm on a quest to determine if this is a book series that we've all been sleeping on as a society, and I am not alone on this quest. Again, I am joined by the lovely head of Mischief Management and co-host of Pottercast. Back again, it's Melissa Anelli. Melissa, how's it going? Hello, is good. I had a little break between our last episode. I mean, it's been a week. Between our last episode and now, and I'm ready to get into chapter 12. Just like everyone else, we had to wait a full week. We've all gone through the same waiting period. We definitely didn't just let 10 minutes go by. (laughs) Podcasting verite. Now, because you are qualifying now as a repeat guest, I get to ask you the repeat guest question. Because last time we asked what's your history with the Percy Jackson books. Now, have you ever done any sort of godly parent sorting quiz of sorts to see who your Greek god parent is? If not, do you have any sort of guess or inclination as to who you feel like you are best suited to be a daughter of? I have not. Ooh. How have I never done this? Give me some options. Because I always forget them. There's a lot. First of all, I have a question for you. Do you have like a family tree that you work off of? Because there's a lot of parents and sisters and brothers that are parents of other sisters. It's a very confusing world. My approach is that it's so messy that I just don't worry about it. Yeah. It's like, I love mess. It's like that Marie Kondo gif. Ooh, right, 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 right. Yeah, it's very messy. And also I feel like the less I know, the more fun it is because then I won't know what's happening in the story. Now, here's what we've got as options. Poseidon, Hera, Zeus, Demeter, Aphrodite, Hephaestus, Ares, Athena, Artemis, Apollo, Hermes, Dionysus, and then I guess Hades. Athena's the wise one. Artemis is the hunter. Ares is war. Hera, I forget, but Demeter is the home and hearth. Yeah, Demeter, in my experience, which is Hades, a video game, is weather and nature and stuff. Right. Demeter is weather and nature and stuff. I think Hera is home and hearth. Hera, daughter of Cronus and Rhea, was associated with all aspects of the life of women. The goddess of women, marriage, and childbirth. She was also known by the Romans as Juno. I'm going to figure out what god I was talking about because I think that was Hestia. Hestia, yeah. I think Hestia is someone that exists in the Greek world, but I don't think made the cut as one of the cabins in the Percy Jackson world. Got it. Okay. I think I got a little Aries in me. Ooh, okay. Yeah, I'm just... A little feist. Feisty. That or Artemis, I don't know. I think probably a little bit of Hephaestus for the creativity. Okay, okay. Also, for Hephaestus, all I think of is Horizon Zero Dawn. Oh, yeah, I did just play the... The DLC or the new one? No, I haven't played the new one yet. Not Forbidden West. I got Zero Dawn. I played the DLC for Zero Dawn. And now that I've completed that, I can get into Forbidden West, which I'm excited to get into. It's a very good game. It's the best game. Really, really good. Anyway, I think Hestia is my other part. I think I have a very strong home and hearth 
vibe. Amazing. Well, if you do take one of the sorting quizzes and we have you on the show again, or we cross paths again, you know, we can figure it out what I'll it is it. together. Yeah, there's an official one from Rick Riordan where it's oh. readriordan.com has one, but it is a very simple one where you can pretty easily tell what you're going to get. But some other folks have sent in some other more robust ones. So I'm sure just like with Harry Potter sorting ones, there's a whole plethora of them out there. Awesome. Well, fun to know. And now we can get into chapter 12, which has a very fun title. I go snowboarding with a pig. Do you take this one as literal? I took it as less literal. And spoiler alert, I should have taken it more literal. I know. It was more literal than the last one. I know. It's wild. So I guessed that snowboarding would happen. And then I thought, ooh, Apollo said that the train was going to take them across most of America. So my guess was, hmm, maybe they're in Colorado. When I think of snowboarding, I usually think of Colorado. And then I was thinking something in the title is not going to be the actual thing. I thought that the pig wasn't going to be the actual thing. Turns out that the snowboarding is the more fudged aspect of the title. Mm -hmm. My guess was that the pig was going to be the equivalent of like when they call Grover a goat, where it's some sort of Greek mythological figure that is maybe a boar man, maybe something along the lines of like Phil from Hercules. I was thinking that the pig was going to be the thing that was used as a stretch of the word, but it's actually the snowboarding. Well, to be clear, like this is a 30 foot pig. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure you're wrong that it's a stretch. <laughs> yeah, it was stretched just a big pig, but a pig nonetheless. Yes, true. <laughs> a big magical pig. So when we last left our heroes, they were taking the train. Percy had a scary dream that keyed us into a little bit of Zoe's backstory. And he was woken up by Grover because the train had stopped. And the train has stopped at a ski resort town in Cloudcroft, New Mexico, which I did Google. And that is a real town. It's very Texan of Uncle Rick, and I'm kicking myself for not knowing because when I lived in Texas, I knew that some folks were doing snow activities. Growing up in New Jersey, it was very easy. There were all sorts of places you could go. My aunt and uncle lived in Massachusetts. We used to go skiing and snowboarding up there. When I was in Texas, obviously, it's a bit of a different climate. What folks had told me is that the closest place you can do any sort of snow thing is New Mexico. It's still like a 10 or 12-hour drive or something from where I lived in Houston, so it's very far, but... Given Uncle Rick being a Texan and specifically a San Antonio Texan, for him to pick New Mexico as the ski town made a lot of sense. And I felt foolish for not factoring in his Texan nature into my guess as to where they would be. I had none of that information. <laughs> so <laughs> Cloudcroft, New Mexico, sounds great. But also you don't really associate New Mexico with snow and climate that's not hot. No, but I guess they have mountain ranges where they do get some snow. Maybe it's more limited in what times of year there is snow there. But I did know, and I was surprised when people said New Mexico, I always pictured deserty stuff. So when people said you could do snow things, I was confused. Percy is freezing by the time they get into Main Street, despite his jacket. And on the walk there, Percy tells Grover about his conversation with Apollo and his advice to seek out Nereus once they get to San Francisco. Grover looks a bit uneasy. I don't know if he knows about this guy or has any sort of history with him or if Grover is just looking uneasy because they're on a quest and it's scary. But Grover agrees that, sure, we can look into this, but he does point out, look, man, we got to get to San Francisco first. We can't be counting our chickens before they hatch, before we worry about what we're doing in San Francisco. How about we get there? And, you know, I appreciate Grover thinking of that. Agreed. Percy doesn't want to doubt their chances of making it, but they do have some key deadlines to keep in mind, especially given that the general said that they would keep Annabeth alive until the solstice. So Percy's very invested in Annabeth's well-being. If they don't sort this out before the solstice starts, Annabeth might not be around, and that would be really terrible for Percy. And all of us who love Annabeth. Yeah, it's very Harry Hermione vibes in a way that I actually enjoy because I didn't like, I wasn't a Harry Hermione shipper. No. But um, yeah, I'm about it. I'm not mad. I think the key difference is that Percy and Annabeth's personalities actually make sense. And right. Percy is nice where Harry takes many books to become nice and generally doesn't treat Hermione super well. I never understood, for folks who've read the books, I never understood the Harry Hermione thing. Based on the movies, I get it more, but if you read the books, there is no sort of romantic interest there. Whereas with Percy and Annabeth, it's been more clear, it's been more slowly building, we've had kisses on the cheek, like there's right. definitely more chemistry there. Totally. And I think just from a match perspective, they work well together and make more sense. Listen, I lived through the Harry Hermione, Ron Hermione <laughs> Wars. Okay, I lived through them 
I have battle scars. <laughs> I remember the breakdowns of people taking every time that they interacted and putting them side by side. And if you do that, if you look at literally the words that Harry uses when he's talking to Hermione, the words that Hermione uses when talking to Harry, they're not great. It doesn't break the fact that they have this great friendship, but yeah. just their in, their interaction, they grate on each other a bit. They have, mm-hmm. you know, without Ron, that's never going to happen, like that friendship, you know? Not never, but like he moderates all that. So like, yeah, it's a much different relationship, but it's, it's, it's interesting watching. Yeah, that always gave me the impression of, you guys know that boys and girls can be friends and not date, right? Which... It seems like something that people forget all the time. And that's why when I was first reading these books, I didn't want to try to push too much of putting Percy and Annabeth together. And I always said, I just like their friendship. However they end up, that's fine. As the books have gone on and they seem like a really good fit for each other. Now I am pushing much more for them to get together. But it's not because main character boy, main character girl, same age friends. Mm-mm. It is because I think they actually work well together. They actually complement each other. It's good. Yeah. So the solstice, as Percy points out, is four days away. And he recalls the general also mentioning something about a sacrifice, which made me remember the prophecy, which mentions that someone is going to die at a parent's hand. I wonder if that sacrifice is what's going to be that situation, especially because some of my guesses were that maybe either the general or Kronos has some sort of tie to one of our characters. I'm thinking more about what that could be. And I wonder if those two things are linked. Regardless, Percy does not like the sound of someone being sacrificed, and he also does not like the fact that it's just four days away, so they really got to move and get to San Francisco and try to figure out what's going on. The town square, when they arrive, has everything that a town should, except for public transportation. And I like (laughs) that over the course of these books, Rick Riordan seems very pro-public transportation, pro-train, pro-bus, pro-subway. I love it. I'm very big on public transit, and especially since moving to New York, taking the Amtrak everywhere, it's such a delight. The fact that Amtrak is doesn't really work over there <laughs> is really not. It's wild. Don't get me on the infrastructure rant on a Percy Jackson podcast, but... <laughs> I mean, I got screwed somewhat. I guess I just had the hubris of New York is a very, very good Amtrak town. And I did a Midwest run of Potterless Live shows. And I intentionally chose cities that all had Amtrak lines in between them so that I could just fly into one, take the train, and then fly home. What I didn't realize is that not every city is like New York City, where you have a lot of trains running all throughout the day. And for a lot of the cities that I was traveling between, because I was going from Indy to Chicago to Milwaukee and then Milwaukee to Minneapolis, they all do have Amtrak lines. But I learned the hard way that some of them have one train a day. Yeah. And either the tickets sell out or because you have back-to-back shows, you can't take a 6 p.m. train when you have an 8 p.m. show on consecutive nights. So I had to take more buses than I anticipated, but that was still fine. But I had a rude awakening to, ah, Just because you have Amtrak lines does not mean it's like New York where you've got to train like every hour to some of the closer cities. We get real spoiled. Let's be honest. We're spoiled. We're spoiled, but it's like that should just be the norm for the whole country. The fact that there's no train linking all of the major cities in Texas is wild. It continues to be so wild that you have to drive three hours in between most of the major cities. Put a line between Dallas and San Antonio. What are we doing? It's so ridiculous to me. It's absurd. So shout out to Public Transit King. Rick Riordan. Now, Thalia is upset, but Grover points out that a coffee shop is nearby, and that excites Zoe because of the coffee, and Grover because of the pastries and the wax paper. I love his desire to eat not food. It's I so know. funny. <laughs> it never fails to make me laugh. It's great. Thalia sighs and says that the two of them can go get food for everybody while she, Bianca, and Percy go into the grocery store to ask for directions. I don't like them splitting up, but thankfully they make a plan to meet outside in front of the grocery store after 15 minutes. So splitting up the party, never a fun instinct. Never split the party. Never split the party. I wasn't a D&D person when I first read these books, and now Nico is my absolute favorite, period, the end, mm-hmm, goodbye. Mm-hmm. Because he's doing like a mix between like D&D and like Magic the Gathering, and I yeah. love him. I love him forever. It's really nice. And same thing, I was not really big into either of those, but now I have played a little bit of Magic the Gathering in the past couple of years, and a little bit of D&D in the past couple of years, and a lot of Dominion, so at least <laughs> yes. some sort of deck building. Love that a lot. 
Shout out to the computer on Dominion Online. You can play Dominion Online for free at just dominion.games. Don't tell me these things. And when you Don't play against the computer, things. when you play against the computer, the computer's name is Lord Rattington. And I love to have my duels against Lord Rattington as I eat lunch. And you can play so quickly because it's the computer game version. So I'll play like a couple rounds. And he's a very good AI. Like I think we split like 50-50. It's very, very fun. But I now have much more appreciation for Nico as well, especially as I continue to play more of all three of these games, which are all very good. Mm -hmm. I like all those games a lot. Now, in the grocery store, they learn that there is apparently not enough snow for skiing. They also learn that you can buy fake rats for a dollar. And I wrote, okay, this has to come back. There's no way that we learned such a fun little factoid without this being relevant. And it is truly a car town classic America. The clerk tells them that they could call a cab from Alamogordo, which is apparently a town at the bottom of the mountains. And I know it's real because when I was typing my notes into my notes app, halfway through the word Alamogordo, the suggestion was to fill it with Alamogordo. So I believe that is also a real town. Cool. Sadly, though, calling a cab from this town would cost several hundred dollars, which they do not have. I'm sorry. New Yorker here. Yeah. And our cab ride is several hundred dollars. Yeah, I get it really with New York. It's so different because it's so traffic dependent. It just matters on the time, not the distance more than anything. But that does feel very expensive for about an hour. And also 15 years ago. Yeah, I feel like $100 would have made sense, but several hundred. Right. Maybe it's like difficulty pricing, like driving up the mountain is annoying. So Car service in New Mexico, you got to expect some mountains. Yeah, maybe it's like we're the only business in town and people don't take cabs a lot so we can charge high and there's not a lot of competition. Like maybe it's a little bit of monopoly situation where they don't have enough competition. So now we've hit like Robert Barron taxi cab monopolies (laughs) in New Mexico. Love it. This podcast is now about labor and public public transit. (laughs) Like seriously. So my guess at this point was, oh, they're going to snowboard and then get a cab. We'll have to see because haven't really got very far into chapter 13. And I think we're only going to get to chapter 12 in this episode, given how much stuff takes place in this chapter. Percy buys a rat because the clerk looks lonely. And then when they go outside, Thalia says that she's going to see if any of the other shopkeepers have other suggestions. And she goes even despite Percy reminding her what the clerk said. But he lets her go because he figures she's still upset about the Luke conversation. But I was really worried. Not only have we split the party, but Thalia is now separated. And what we learned earlier is that the monster is trying to get Thalia one-on-one. I don't like the idea of her being solo at any point. I feel like she should always be traveling with somebody. Yep. So I was pretty tense while reading this on the subway. Not the metro, the subway. No, I was on the subway, not the metro. I was on the six, and I'm sure I looked very cool and normal with a book out in my hand and me furiously typing notes into my phone onto my notes app. That's absolutely the coolest thing you could be doing. (laughs) No irony. It's a weird mix of, ah, kids these days and their technology, but, oh, he is reading a book, but why is he writing so much into the phone? (laughs) So that leaves Percy and Bianca alone, which has Percy feeling awkward at first because one, she's a girl, and two, they haven't talked very much, and three, now she's a hunter. And of course, that was a bit of a contentious decision with some ripple effects. I think these are all valid reasons for Percy to feel awkward. Above all else, the just not having talked to a person a lot, that can be incredibly awkward. And you got to have some weird small talk conversations sometimes, and that's just part of life. Yeah. Also, Percy, not so great with the suave social graces. Not his strong suit. She first compliments his rat. And at this point, I wrote, okay, this has to come into play. Not only did we mention the rat, not only did we buy the rat, but she has now complimented the rat. This rat, I thought maybe would be, I don't know, an important component of a monster they have to fight. Mm -hmm, Because I mm -hmm. figured no monsters were fought last chapter. We're due for a monster fight. Right. So I figured the rat, it has to be something. He asks Bianca how she likes being a hunter. And instead of responding, she just asks if he's still mad at her for joining. And Percy says, nah, long as, you know, you're happy. And I read this as genuine. Do you think that that's what Percy was going for? Does he truly believe that? Or was he saying something kind of holding back his feelings? No, I think he's right. I don't think he has any kind of, I mean, she's younger, so she's not any kind of romantic potential for him. Maybe, yeah. You know, he hasn't known her long enough to really be invested otherwise. So yeah, I think he's being genuine. That's what I figured as well. 
Bianca says she's not sure that happy is the right word with Artemis gone, but it's cool being a hunter and she feels like things have calmed down and slowed down, and then she wonders maybe it's the immortality. And Percy notes that she does look more confident. She's not hiding her face under her green hat. She has her hair tied back, and she makes eye contact with him when speaking, some changes from before. He then has the realization that she will look the same in 500 or 1,000 years. Bianca reveals that Nico didn't understand her choice, and Percy interprets this as her saying it in a way that is kind of teeing him up to say, don't worry about it, it's okay. And Percy semi-deflects by saying, Nico will be okay because Camp Half-Blood takes in a lot of kids, just like they did for Annabeth. And I really feel like Chiron is rubbing off on Percy, because this is a great way to not really answer this question without totally. saying how he actually feels if he is worried about Nico, or if he agrees with Nico. I have one question about the D'Angelo kids about Bianca right now. Mm-hmm. Does she still talk with her hands? These two I, little oh, Italians. She has to. We're right There's in my heart. No and way. when you become a hunter, do you lose that like genuine like New York Italian talk with their hands? This that's how they were described. Right. Percy has not mentioned that she's stopped doing it, so I like to think that she still is, and it's very funny. I'm very well aware of how much I talk with my hands on this podcast, even though I am not Italian. I just grew up around many Italian folks, and it bled out into me, and if you tied my hands behind my back when trying to record these episodes, the podcast would be worse by a considerable margin. (laughs) I've experimented with trying to keep my hands not moving while I talk, and it's absolutely impossible. In addition to me always getting yelled at for talking too quickly in any sort of business class or presentation-based thing in school, I would also get scolded for talking with my hands too much. Business class professors would tell me, oh, you have to be intentional with your hand motions. If you do too much, it waters down you making a point. You know, if you start numbering things, it waters down. I'd never realized it enough to tell them, but I should have said, I don't think you understand. This is part of who I am. I cannot do this. This is like telling someone with an accent, don't have an accent. This is just how I talk. I cannot change this. Yeah, I don't accept it. (laughs) So yeah. It's okay. I still got the business minor that I actually use a good chunk in my self-employed days running my own little LLC. (laughs) Bianca says that she hopes they find Annabeth, and she says that Annabeth is lucky to have a friend like Percy, which I think is very sweet. I really do like Bianca. Mm -hmm. And Percy self-deprecatingly says that his friendship did her a whole lot of good, and Bianca tells him not to blame himself, which makes me like Bianca even more. I already liked her. Mm -hmm. I really like her after this conversation. She goes on to say that Percy saved her and Nico, and he made Bianca confident enough to leave Nico at Camp Half-Blood because as long as the camp had people at it like Percy, she knew that Nico would be okay. And narrator Percy says, the compliment took me by surprise, and Percy then says, even though I knocked you down and capture the flag. And Bianca says, okay, except for that, you're a good guy. And this is great. This is wonderful. I love this dynamic. It's very fun. I like getting to know her more. It's a setup conversation. You got to like Bianca now. (laughs) Yeah. It's on purpose. Indeed. Rick, as we've said a lot on the podcast, he does a very good job of making you like characters, even if they start off as ones you don't like or you're neutral about. It's really easy to fall in love with them. He just makes them so lovable in like a genuine, not forced way, though. She just seems like a nice, chill understanding person and it's not forced it's not oh i see what rick's doing it's more of i feel these things and then i think about it and i go ah rick did that on purpose touche rick Mm -hmm. grover and zoe then emerge out of the coffee shop and percy internally wishes that they hadn't because he did enjoy talking to bianca and kind of wanted to keep that going which i think is really cool his feelings mimicked mine when i was reading it i was enjoying the conversation i didn't want it to get cut short and percy continues the conversation he asks her about her and nico's pre-westover days and she says she thinks they attended a boarding school in dc but it feels like so long ago and as we kind of talked about earlier it's getting really Really, really interesting, all the Bianca stuff, where now I'm starting to wonder, is Bianca 12? Is Nico 10? Because she talks about it like it's such a distant past. Percy asks her, okay, what about your mortal parent? And she says that her and Nico were told that their parents are dead. She also goes on to say that there was a bank trust with a lot of money. There was a lawyer who would check in on them periodically, and then her and Nico had to leave the school. Percy asks why. She thinks about it, and then she says that they had to go somewhere important. They went far and were in a hotel for weeks, and then one day, a different lawyer came to get them out, drove them back east through D.C., and then into Maine. 
And I was really curious about this. My initial guess here in my notes is that maybe they were in San Francisco because Mm. we do know that the mist is really, really heavy there. So maybe they were there and the mist was so heavy that it makes them struggle to remember everything that took place. The other thing I thought, though, was maybe DC was really a long time ago, thinking back to her mentioning that the subway wasn't around. Because if you look at the timeline, maybe they were in D.C., and then maybe they went to San Francisco, and maybe they went back through D.C. and then up to Maine. I'm not really sure, but I at least was open to the possibility of it might not just be something making them forget their recent past. There could be a much bigger gap of time between D.C. and now, and we just don't know what's going on. Really interested. Here's the thing for me. The whole thing is that it doesn't seem like a long time ago. She's been alive 12 years to her. Right. So Mm -hmm. why does it seem like a long time ago? That's the thing. She says it feels like a long time ago. So I think it could be a situation where if she is older than 12, she does not know that she is older than 12. She does say we were in a hotel for a couple of weeks. That's the kind of thing where I thought, I don't know if that's a couple of weeks. I wonder if that's a lot longer. So why does it seem like so long ago? I guess it's something where maybe it was some sort of mist where she doesn't really know. But I guess like... She has been told, you are 12. So she has this weird thing of saying, oh, I was in D.C. when I was a kid. And I know that's not supposed to be that long ago because I'm only 12. Because she always does say, it feels like so long ago. So I think it actually could have been so long ago. But something in between the whole, there's a new lawyer. Did the old lawyer die? Like, <laughs> It's a little fudgy. Mm-hmm. It's certainly fudgy. So Percy asks her, so you've been raising Nico pretty much your whole life? And she nods and admits that a little bit selfishly, that's why she wanted to join the Hunters. She loves Nico, but she yearned for the ability to see what life was like when she wasn't a big sister 24 hours a day. And her phrasing it that way, I already kind of understood her side of it, but phrasing it that way, I started to get it a little bit more because her responsibility, she kind of is almost like a parent at this point, but she's only 12. So to not know what life is like when you don't have to just constantly take care of someone, I totally understand her desire to see what it is just because it's just a lot to ask someone so young to have such a responsibility. All of her focus is just going to be on keeping Nico alive. So to not be able just to pursue anything, just normal kid stuff, find out what sports you're good at, all the sorts of things that you shouldn't have to worry about. I totally understand her side of it a little bit more. Completely. I wish that there was more of a conversation between her and Nico before she made the choice because it felt very, very quick. But I also understand that this is a book. And at the time the choice was made, these are very new characters. So we're not super invested. So if we have a whole chapter of these new people we just met talking, might not make for entertaining reading, especially Rick keeps all of these books pretty short and about the same size. Maybe this could be something in the TV show that they flush out because I do know for the Lightning Thief Disney Plus show, they're going to add some more stuff and extend things a little bit. So I think this could be a great opportunity for that. Maybe there is more back and forth where Bianca and Nico talk and then we can be more sympathetic to Bianca early on as opposed to now where we're past the halfway point in the book and only now do we start to feel a little bit more okay with Bianca leaving our precious, precious Nico alone. Completely. They give me big Angelica vibes from... The Rugrats? Golden Compass. Oh, Golden, okay. (laughs) Angelica and Tulio, but like less feral. I have not touched the Golden Compass, unsurprisingly. It's not Golden Compass, it's Subtle Knife that they're in. Yeah. Couldn't tell you. That's the one with like the polar bear with a big gold thing, right? Yes, absolutely. That's where it starts and ends. I know they made a movie, didn't see it. That's different from Blind Witch in the Wardrobe, right? Very different. And the TV show is okay. Okay, okay. (laughs) So yeah. (laughs) That's not his Dark Materials, right? Is that different? Yeah, it's his Dark Materials. I've heard that show was really good. You have to come on to the other podcast that I have not finished where we do that book. Right, right. Okay, yeah. Well, I've not touched them. Maybe when I'm 80 and I'm still making podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Percy can also relate to what Bianca is going through because of the whole Tyson situation in book two where all of a sudden he has a younger brother that he has to take care of. So he can sympathize a bit. Percy then changes the subject to Zoe trusting Bianca and asks Bianca what her and Zoe were talking about the other day about the quest. And Bianca's confused going, wait, when are you talking about? And Percy kind of fumbles things and reveals, oh, yeah, when you're talking in the pavilion in the morning. And then she realizes, wait a second. Ah, right. You have the invisibility hat. Were you eavesdropping in on our conversation? And he starts to try and explain a little backpedaling of, oh, no, no, I'm so sorry. uh, uh," But then... 
Zoe and Grover enter to stop him from having to explain it, but Bianca is still looking very, very angry, and that makes Percy a little uncomfortable, understandably so. Now, before we get into this, let's take a little bit of a break for the Titans Purse. We're talking about fun updates of stuff, new merch, Patreon things, live shows, whole bunch of fun stuff in there. Listen to it. It'll be cool. Hello and welcome to the Titans Purse Utah Edition, round two, now with not as much echo. I'm here to talk about some fun stuff. First, this is the 50th episode of The New Olympian, and that is not the only milestone we are here to talk about. Recently, on the 6th of September, TNO celebrated its one-year anniversary, and in that first year, we amassed over 2.25 million downloads, which is absolutely ridiculous. I cannot thank you all enough for the support. It is so heartwarming to see the response to the show and to see it grow. Over the course of this first year, I'm so happy that you all enjoy the show. I'm having so much fun making the show, and I cannot wait to see where the show goes from here. But this is a start better than I could have ever expected, and it was a scary jump for me to stop making Potterless and start making this show, and to see how the show has been received in its first year is just so great, and I'm so thankful, and I cannot wait to keep making more episodes of this podcast. Thank you all so much. And really, I owe so much of this success to you listeners who have talked about the show, spreading it via word of mouth. That is honestly the best way that podcasts grow, and for any of you that have told a friend or a family member or a loved one or anybody else, if you've told the internet by just posting about it, thank you all so much. You've helped the show grow and you've helped me continue to do this as my full-time job by spreading the show and supporting the show on Patreon and just by simply listening to the show. I cannot thank you all enough. This is so fantastic. I'm so lucky to call this my job and I want to continue to do so for years to come. So here's to many more years of TNO and let's get into some more announcements. In case you missed it, we released new merch for TNO very recently. We've got a Pro Pigeon Podcast shirt, which is in TNO teal. It has a very happy pigeon listening to the podcast and smiling because the podcast is Pro Pigeon. It is an adorable shirt. You can get that right now. There are also TNO socks designed by Kelly Schubert. You may have heard of her before. I think she's fantastic. And I think these socks are fantastic too. They've got a nice teal wave design on them. There's the trident at the top. There's the TNO wordmark on the calf. It's got a nice cream color off setting the waves. There's a gold heel and toe. They are gorgeous. I cannot wait to put them on my feet and you can order them right now as well as those shirts at thenewestolympian.com slash merch and also at thenewestolympian.com slash merch. You can get a video replay of the New York City show that we did, which will be the next episode of the Newest Olympian. So if you want to fully experience what that show was like, you really want to see what it was like, not just hear what it was like, well, you can get the full video replay, which did have a seven camera setup. So it is very dynamic. It feels like you are there. It is one of the coolest streams that that I've ever seen for a live show, and I'm glad that I happen to be a part of it. So again, all that stuff lives at thenewstolympian.com slash merch. Speaking of live show stuff, we do still have two TNO live shows scheduled for the end of the year. We are coming to Portland, Oregon on September 25th, and we are coming to Dallas, Texas on October 9th. If you want to get tickets to those, you can go to thenewestolympian.com slash merch. If you live nearby, come through. I would love to see you there. The past couple of shows that we've done have been very, very fun, and I'm excited to bring those shows across the country and maybe across the globe. Stay tuned for future announcements. Of course, I want to thank all of the folks who are supporting the show on Patreon. If you go to thenewsolympian.com slash Patreon, you can support the show and get access to a whole bunch of bonus content as a thank you for doing so, whether that is monthly live streams or director's commentary or bonus episodes or little bonus clips. Sometimes the episodes run a little bit long and I got to cut stuff for time. I take those clips. I put them up on the Patreon. There's lots of fun stuff over at thenewsolympian.com slash Patreon. And I want to thank the newest members of our team. We are past the 50 person limit, though this list is just shy of 50. So shout out to our newest ultra god tier patron Zachary Hamilton. Shout out to our newest mega god tier patron Jomar Rodriguez. Shout out to our newest god tier patrons Tiffany, Gwen Johnson, Weird Chaotic Child of Apollo, Jen Duthat, Courtney Sherman, Helen Wincall, Anna Gibalisco, All the Ladies Love Leo, Katie Ashby, and Hannah Stenstone Nilsson. Shout out to our newest demigod tier patrons Henwarto, Caitlin Steffen, Breton Racine, Frida, Leo Lu, Sarah Levine, Camilla, Sabrina B, Hillary Williams, Kendra Bachman, Owen Michael, They've Escaped Again, Emily Cole, Emily Nelson, Push Punjali, I Want a Dream, Christina Bell, Sebastian Couillard, Vervada Shadaslayer, Lisa, and Elizabeth Polanco. And shout out to Alex Waring, who upgraded their pledge. Again, if I mispronounce any of those, please send me a message on Patreon and I will do a name correction, but thank you all so much for supporting. May Hermes bless you when you are on a hike that you get it done quickly enough where you don't get caught 
on the trail while the sun sets too much and it gets too dark. Also, if you're all caught up in the News Olympian, you're all caught up on the Patreon bonus content, you still need something else, you could check out some of the other podcasts that I make. There's one called Potterless. It's a Harry Potter podcast where it's very similar in structure to the News Olympian. I made it before I started making the News Olympian, just going through the books for the very first time. So if you want a bit of a blast from the past about what I used to sound like before I was big professional podcast boy and I was only becoming a big professional podcast boy, you can check out Potterless wherever you get your podcasts or by going to potterlesspodcast.com. And before we wrap up here, you're going to hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. The ones that are not read by me are inserted locally. So if you live in Utah, don't be surprised. If you hear an ad for bees, it seems like you guys like bees here. So if there are bee-related ads, maybe that would be a thing. Anyway, regardless, once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of The Newest Olympian. For six generations, the Jones family has been providing high-quality meats. And now, we're providing treats for the best member of your family, man's best friend, a.k.a. the goodest boys and girls. Jones Natural Shoes makes bones and treats that are sure to be savored by your dog and are made from the best natural ingredients available. Our flavorful chews are made from natural animal parts and will have your puppy drooling with happiness. From treats like sticks and chews to savory bones and patties, we've got you covered for finding the perfect reward for that special pup in your life. Jones Natural Chews come in all sizes, so make sure to choose the right treat for your pup. And remember, it's important to be supervising your pup when they're enjoying their treats to keep your puppy safe. Jones Natural Chews, available at a pet store near you. Or visit jonesnaturalchews.com to get started with our store locator tool. That's Jones Natural Chews, available at a pet store near you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. And you know who else is back? Grover and Zoe. So they have returned and they've got hot chocolate for Bianca and Percy. They have coffee for the two of them. And Percy has a blueberry muffin, of course, because he's got to pay homage to Sally and get blue food anytime he can. But as I mentioned, Bianca still looking pretty upset, even though these folks have come and stopped Percy from awkward conversation land. Zoe states that they should do a tracking spell and asks Grover if he has any acorns left. He starts to reach around for some, but then he freezes as a warm breeze enters. There's a fresh smell in this warm breeze, and then there is a voice trying to say something that sounds like a warning. And Grover drops his cup of coffee and it had bird designs on the cup of coffee, but then those designs turn into actual tiny doves that fly away, which I thought was really, really cool. That's such a fun visual to imagine. Yeah, totally. And then the rubber rat finally does have its bit of relevancy. Right. Little bit of a letdown for the rat, if I'm being Little honest. bit. Wasn't as big as I was anticipating, but Chekhov's rat, if you introduce a rubber rat in the beginning of the chapter, you have to have it run away by the end. Gotta so use it, it turns into a real actual rat with fur and it runs off. Grover then collapses and begins to moan like an ugh. And it's not clear what the groaning entails. Not sure if he's in pain, what's going on. Thale then orders the team to get him up so that they can get moving. And at this point, I was trying to figure out, okay, what is this? Is the warning coming from Demeter because she's got nature stuff going on? Is this something from Pan? Because Pan is all about nature. Is it an Artemis thing? I didn't really feel like it would be Artemis because she is trapped. I don't know that she would be able to send some sort of warning. The only thing I thought was maybe this warm breeze is how they track Artemis's scent or her path or however you want to phrase it. But the fact that there was a warning in there made me think either Demeter or Pan, but it's hard to tell about either of those because we haven't met either. So I don't know who would be more likely to be around. That was my thinking at this point in time. I had nothing. I was just going. (laughs) 
<laughs> so they get to the edge of town before two skeleton warriors appear. And they are now not wearing their combat booties, sleeveless shirt outfits, but instead they're wearing New Mexico State Police uniforms, but they still have their same weird see-through skin and yellow eyes and all that kind of stuff. They pull out their guns, which I was not anticipating, no. but it makes sense. <laughs> it's really weird visual, if I'm being honest. It's certainly interesting, but I think it's fun given that it's such a Greek mythological old school book series so far. But now in this book, and I think it's just fun to switch it up a little bit. We've got helicopters. We've got walkie talkies. We've got cell phones. There's more technology in the mix, which at least is a nice change of pace. And I'm interested to see how it continues to develop. So Narrative Percy says, quote, I'll admit I used to think it would be kind of cool to learn how to shoot a gun, but I changed my mind as soon as the skeleton warriors pointed theirs at me. And I've been to a gun range exactly once. I went, a friend wanted to go. I did not want to go, but I was staying with his family. So I went along with it, fired one bullet, hated it. Just wanted to get out of there. Wasn't a fan. I don't know if you've ever fired a gun. I had not a fun time. I've fired an M14. Oh my goodness. That's a big one. I was a reporter and I went to Paris Island to report on what it's like for the Marines when they get kind of inducted. Like I saw the whole yellow footstep ceremony and all the things. It was like a junket essentially. And they showed us how to fire. I hit a target at 500 yards. I was very proud of myself. I don't ever want to do it again, but it was, it was an experience. Yeah. I'm fine without it in my life. Exactly how I felt. I fired one and then I just thought, cool. No, but I didn't think cool. I thought, okay, <laughs> I have already paid for however many bullets. I will fire the rest of them. And I hope my goal for the rest of the time was I'm just going to do this and not get hurt and not hurt anyone. And I don't want like, I don't understand how people own them. I, just like holding something so dangerous that can cause so much harm. I felt so incredibly uncomfortable. Not a fan at all. Mm-mm. Let's get rid of these things. They're awful. They shouldn't exist. Agreed. Thalia taps her bracelet and Aegis the shield appears, but the skeletons don't move. They remain fixated on Percy. Makes sense? That's who they're after. Percy then wields Riptide. Bianca and Zoe get their bows out, but Bianca is having trouble because Grover is leaning and swooning on her. So this made me think, okay, not a Demeter thing. It's gotta be Artemis because the swooning thing, he always swoons over Artemis. But then I thought a little bit more, he does swoon over Artemis because of nature. So I wasn't ruling out Pan, but I at least ruled out Demeter here. So I went back to thinking, could be Artemis, could be Pan. I don't know how this warning works. We'll have to see. And we will see at the end of the chapter. (laughs) Thalia orders them to back up, but then two more skeletons appear and they are surrounded. And I can't help but think of, I don't know if you watched the sketch show, I think you should leave, the one that's on Netflix. Yes. But the one with the bonies that comes through, I just kept thinking of the bonies and someone, anytime the bonies enter, I was imagining the actor who comes in and goes, oh no, you gotta get them. (laughs) I haven't seen that one. I haven't seen all the new stuff yet. Okay. I don't know which episode it is. I won't spoil it. It's very funny, but there's a ridiculous sketch where Sam Richardson, a very, very funny sketch comedy actor, comes in anytime a skeleton enters this particular sketch and just gives people warnings. So anytime the skeletons enter, I imagine Sam Richardson also coming in and saying, oh, no, it's the skeletons, (laughs) just yelling at all of the characters. So they can't back up anymore because they're surrounded. One of the skeletons raises a cell phone and then makes a clicking noise of sorts into it that just sounds like dry bones chattering against each other. I was already not a fan of these dudes because they sounded scary. Now they sound scary and I was even less on board. They are terrifying. Yeah. And what Percy soon realizes is that they are calling in the rest of the 12. They're bringing in all the reinforcements. So they got to act quickly. Grover then moans, it's near, and Percy says, it's here, and Grover corrects him saying, no, the gift, the gift from the wild with a capital W, which again feels very Artemis, very pan. Percy has no idea what he is talking about. Thalia strategizes that they should go one-on-one with each of the skeletons because Grover is not fit to fight anybody, so if they at least keep all of them busy, maybe they will leave Grover alone. Zoe agrees, and then Grover just moans, the wild! Again, capital W, and this time an exclamation point, so Grover's really going through it right now. We get another warm wind, but Percy stays locked in on the skeleton, and the first skeleton begins to fire its gun, and Percy charges. Time slows down, which had me really excited. I just imagined the action movie noise when it goes, and kind of goes into slow-mo bullet Bullet time. time sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Percy deflects the bullet and he does kind of hedge his own awesomeness by saying, I won't say I could see the bullet, but I could feel its path the same way I felt water currents in the ocean. And I don't feel like this is a godly thing. This just feels like as he's talked about, his ADHD can also take the form of the battle instincts, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. guess as you talked about in the last episode, you having ADHD, do you feel seen reading these books? Are there certain things where it feels true to form? Oh, 8 million percent. I actually highlighted where they talked about, they do the ADHD thing really well here. And I also like appreciate that they all have kind of like specialness or neurodivergency or some sort of thing about them is pretty cool. It's pretty cool about these books. Yeah. As we've discussed in the episodes, solely dedicated to it. It feels like it's done really well. It's cool for representation purposes. It's good to see. So I'm glad that you agree that it's done well. Percy, after deflecting the bullet, keeps charging. The skeleton draws a police baton and Percy then slices off its arm at the elbows. And I just thought, okay, it can't be this easy. It's going to regrow, right? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) It cannot. (laughs) It doesn't really regrow, but the bones just kind of reassemble. So I guess they just kind of go back into place after a little bit of time, which I wrote just great in my notes. Clearly, these guys are going to be a hassle. Yeah, great. It's every video game with the skeletons that you have to kill early in the game. Mm-hmm. They, you kill them. You run into them. They fall apart. Later in the game, they come back. <laughs> now, the second skeleton tries to fire, but Percy knocks its gun into the snow. And then narrator Percy says, I thought I was doing pretty well until the other two skeletons shot me in the back. And I wrote, oh, no. But then I immediately after that wrote, oh, good. The lion's fur is bulletproof. And that's very convenient. But it has been proven beforehand to at least withstand arrows from Zoe and Bianca. So it didn't feel like a stretch. If it can block those blocking bullets, made sense to me. Now, Thalia charges skeleton number two. Zoe and Bianca shoot arrows at skeletons three and four, and Grover stands with his hands out to the trees as if he wants to hug them. And that made me feel a little more panny in my is it pan, is it Artemis situation, because Mm -hmm. by saying the wild and the wild, he seems to be more on the nature. And also, I feel like if... It was an Artemis thing. He would have been doing it more along the way because they had been tracking Artemis the whole time. And when this happened, they didn't say, oh, here he goes again. So it felt new. So I still wasn't 100% convinced. I'm not going to act like I was certain, but I was at least feeling like Pan was more of a possibility. Artemis second place, Demeter third place. Percy hears a crashing sound to the left. After hearing this noise, he notes that Zoe and Bianca's arrows basically don't have any effect. Even the headshots just kind of go through the skeleton skulls, and it doesn't really do much to them. One of the skeletons then lunges at Bianca, and it seems like she's a goner, but she quickly takes out her hunting knife and stabs it in the chest, and it bursts into flames, and then it becomes a pile of ash, which I... I could have guessed a hundred times what would have happened. I would not have even come close to this. This was so cool. There was some hint earlier that the parentage of Nico and Bianco is going to be very important. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, this is yet another hint. Exactly. I still don't really know. My only inclination would be Ares because this feels like a fighting type thing. And I think it would be interesting because we only know Clarice at Ares so far, at least by name. And Clarice is a bit of a rival type character for Percy, a little bit more of a bully. So to have Nico be a part of the Ares cabin, I think would be a fun dynamic of, ah, there's someone we like. And there's someone that we're a little more in between on. I had brought up before, I found it interesting that there's been no mention about their parentage at all. Like little question marks about it. Like somebody asks and it's not answered, which is always a flashing card. It's very interesting. And Hades could be that because we haven't met anyone who is a child of Hades yet. Absolutely no one, or at least no camper. And I think that that would be really interesting for a character to learn more. Ares was my first thought because it just felt like a battle, but maybe... Hades gives you the ability to defeat the undead. But then my question was, why did her arrows not work, but then her knife did? Did she always have this knife? Was it one of the hunter's knife? I was just confused about why one would work, but not the other. Is it a proximity thing? Because she's actually holding the knife. I was trying to think if any god is a fire type god because the fact that it burned into ashes, but I don't really know that anyone is unless you count Apollo because of the sun. Right, but there's like a river of fire in hell. And... Right, yeah, the Phlegathon. 
So Percy asks, how did you do that? And she says that she doesn't know. But Percy goes, well, do it again. She tries to, but the remaining bonies kind of keep their distance from her. They know, all right, we should be a little cautious around this one, Mm -hmm. clearly. Percy asks the team, all right, what's the plan? Because this fight is at a standstill. Nobody answers, but then Grover says, a gift. And then I remembered, right, the crashing noise. That hasn't been resolved. What's the crashing noise? (laughs) Narrator Percy then explains the crashing noise. Quote, and then with a mighty roar, the largest pig I'd ever seen came crashing into the road. It was a wild boar, 30 feet high, with a snotty pink snout and tusks the size of canoes. Its back bristled with brown hair and its eyes were wild and angry. And it enters with a reet, which I like is at least the official pig noise, because so far when Percy was a guinea pig in the last book, he said reet, and now this big standard pig, if you will, says Reet. So I don't know if that's the official animal noise of the Percy Jackson books, but it's at least the official pig noise of the Percy Jackson books. Mm-hmm. I did the noise to myself to go, Reet? Yeah, 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 that's a pig. That's a pig. <laughs> it's hard. I cannot imagine writing effective animal onomatopoeia, but Rick did do it well. It sounds true to form. So the pig launches three skeletons into the side of a mountain by just yeeting them with its tusks, and they break into all sorts of pieces. Limbs are flying all over the place. The pig then turns to our team. Thalia raises her spear, but Grover instructs her not to kill it. Zoe states that it is the Aramanthian boar and says that she doesn't think that they could kill it if they tried. Again, Grover calls it a gift. It swings its tusks, causing Bianca and Zoe to have to dive out of the way. And then Percy has to push Grover out of the way, quote, so he wouldn't get launched into the mountain on the Boar Tusk Express. What a fun way to word it. The Boar Tusk Express. Yeah. So funny. Percy then says, yeah, I feel blessed. Scatter! Which is superb. I love a sassy Percy, especially when he's put in a play on any sort of Greek thing. He's a master of this sort of line. Yeah, his snark. It's great. It's Harry's snark. Harry's snark is darker. Yeah, I feel like Harry uses it more to yell at people he doesn't like. It's more of, ooh, like he goes more for burns. If you pull out like one-liners from Harry, they are like darkly hilarious. It's just a very different humor from like Ron, for instance. Agreed. The other thing that I feel like with Harry's though is they definitely feel like a grown adult read them. I do think that Rick does a better job of making Percy sound authentically like he's 12 or 13 or 14 or whatever age he's been in these books that I've read so far. Whereas sometimes some of the things Harry comes up with in the heat of the moment, how do you think of that? Like you're 15 and you just came up with the wittiest comeback ever. Like, hmm, doesn't feel as believable. Nah, I think he's just funny. (laughs) I think James was like that. Yeah, okay, okay. Thalia says, it wants to kill us. Grover says, of course, it's wild. And Bianca asks, so how is it a blessing? And the narrator, Percy, to finish what was already a very funny interchange, says, it seemed a fair question to me, but the pig was offended and charged her. (laughs) (laughs) And I've said this a lot, but I have to say it again. The comedy mixed with action from Rick is really impressive. These books, the action scenes are really fun, and they never have too much action where you don't laugh. The beginning where Percy's fighting the skeleton, it feels like something straight out of the Matrix. But then it's not too long before we get something absurd with the giant boar coming in. And then this is genuinely laugh-out-loud funny. He's an incredibly talented author. Now, Bianca avoids the charge as the pig destroys the Welcome to Cloudcroft sign. And narrator Percy says, I racked my brain trying to remember the myth of the boar. I was pretty sure Hercules had fought this thing once, but I couldn't remember how he'd beaten it. I had a vague memory of the boar plowing down several Greek cities before Hercules managed to subdue it. I hoped Cloudcroft was insured against giant wild boar attacks. (laughs) Of course, I want to ask Dr. Moya, our Greek expert, about this, but do you remember the Hercules myth at all? Did you remember at all what this was? No, not at all. Zero percent. I'm like, the error what? Okay. (laughs) It is fun that Hercules himself has not come up in these books at all, but we've gotten a lot of Hercules's tasks that he has to complete. And I think there's 12 of them. So it makes sense. But those keep coming up, which is fun. So I like that Uncle Rick is pulling from them. But yeah, I don't really know, except for a couple of the ones that happened in the movie Disney's Hercules. But I feel like the only extended one is Hydra. And then everything else is a montage for the most part. Yeah, I don't remember anything. 
Zoe calls for them to keep moving. Her and Bianca run in opposite directions. Grover dances around the boar, playing his reed pipes as the boar tries to hit him. But then it turns to face Percy and Thalia, and Thalia then holds up Aegis. But this proves to be a mistake, because the image of Medusa sends the boar into a rage and it charges at them. They are darting between the trees, running uphill, much like a bush would enjoy, uh-huh. running... <laughs> They're running up that hill while the boar plows through the trees. And this felt so much like a video game. Mm-hmm, this felt absolutely. like Crash Bandicoot running away from the giant rolling ball. I know they're going uphill, but... It's HCD again. You have to fight these machines that are huge animals. And yes. they come crashing through yeah. trees. Oh, Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. But yeah, that totally makes sense. But it, it's kind of like that mixed with one of those platforming games where it's just, you have to just run away from the camera from the big thing and you have to skirt through the things. But the thing is so big that it just bashes them as it continues to go. So they come across train tracks and I was excited because, ah, oh, can they get on another train? Big train boy over here. They run along the train tracks and it's kind of on a slope at the side of the mountain, so the boar is struggling to run on this terrain. And then they approach a tunnel with a bridge across a gorge on the other side. So at least this isn't a rope bridge, but this is a bridge that a train would go across, which does still feel like scary bridge to cross. Yeah, with a tentog pig following you, absolutely any bridge would feel not great. Totally. Percy then hatches a wild idea. Thalia slows down, but Percy doesn't have the time to ask why she's slowing down, so he pulls her along and she reluctantly follows. And my initial thought was, is Thalia afraid of heights? But then I wrote, but she's a daughter of Zeus. That wouldn't make any sense. Makes lots of sense. (laughs) We'll see what happens. So they go through the tunnel, they get to the bridge, and Thalia just stops in her tracks, white in the face, can't bring herself to go across. She is way too terrified. The boar smashes into the tunnel, and Percy says now, she now looks green in the face, so Percy has to revert to plan B, which is tackling her and going sideways off the bridge into the side of the mountain. And they slide on Aegis like you do if you've played Kingdom Hearts 3 when you've got Goofy Donald and Sora all on the shield sliding around town. You do this for the first time in the Hercules level, which feels like a very Greek connection between these two. You definitely do it in HCD. This is just so video game, so Mm -hmm. cinema. It's Mm -hmm. a great action scene. It's going to be great. Exactly. I wrote, talk about video game energy. This is a classic video game type thing. Mm -hmm. So they snowboard in quotation marks down the mountain on the shield. The boar crashes into the gorge and lands in a snowdrift and is just completely wedged in and just kind of stuck, not going to move. It's okay. It doesn't seem like it's too hurt, but it is certainly not in the most mobile of situations. Thalia and Percy are a bit banged up, but they are safe. And Percy goes, you're afraid of heights. And Thalia looks angry and tells him, don't be stupid. And Percy points to, remember the Apollo bus thing? Is that why you were really afraid? Which I thought was quite touchy of him because in that scene, we later learn that Thalia's mom died in a car wreck and that was her reasoning for not being okay with driving a car. So that felt like a big risk of a thing to bring up, but she seems to not get upset at that. Thalia then sighs and tells him not to tell anyone. And then Percy gives her a little bit of crap saying, no, no, that's cool. It's just the daughter of Zeus, the lord of the sky, afraid of heights. And she looks like she's about to knock him out when Grover then calls from far away, hello? (laughs) And then Percy responds. And minutes later, the other three join them. Grover again calls the pig a blessing. And Zoe says they must use it. And that confuses Thalia and... A very funny note is narrative Percy says that Thalia looks like she just lost a fight with a Christmas tree. No, it's just funny considering her history. Right, that she was a tree. I didn't even think of that. Very good. What this made me think of was in middle school, I want to say sixth grade maybe, my mom, one of her coworkers talked to her about costume ideas for me for Halloween because I didn't really have anything in mind and I wanted to do something cool. They came up with the idea for me to dress as a skier who crashed into a tree. (laughs) So I wore a whole skiing outfit, goggles all eschew, and my sister took her makeup kit and gave me a black eye. We put like fake blood on me and stuff and then took a bunch of pine needles and branches and stuff that had fallen and hot glued them to my turtleneck. And then I walked around with ski poles and I was a skier who crashed into a tree. I think my best Halloween costume I've ever done. That's a good costume. Shout out to Barb and her coworker. 
Grover explains that the pig is their ride west because it is so fast. And Percy goes, all right, cool, we'll be pig cowboys, which is amazing. What a fun visual. I like them actually taking an animal now because in the first book, it seemed like they might take animals, but instead they took a truck that was just filled with animals. So for them to actually ride on this giant pig is a great relief of it's finally happening. This is very Dragon Book 7 where they just use the animal unbeknownst to itself to get where they need to go. Yes, we have taken an adversary and turned it into a means of transportation. Grover says they need to get aboard because they notice that the pig is starting to work its way free. But Grover also says that he wishes he had time to look around, but quote, it's gone now. Percy asks, what's gone? Grover ignores him. Doesn't seem like an intentional ignoring, more of just he's so focused on whatever was happening that he didn't hear it. And he approaches the boar and then he gets on its back. Grover plays a reed pipe song. He tosses an apple in front of the boar and it kind of hovers in front of him and the boar goes wild in a struggle to attain it. That causes Thalia to say, automatic steering. Great. (laughs) So Thalia goes over, jumps on the boar behind Grover and there's still a bunch of room for everybody else. Zoe and Bianca then walk up to the boar but then Percy goes, wait a second, do you two know what Grover is talking about? This wild blessing? And Zoe says that she does and she asks Percy, did you not feel it in the wind? It was so strong, I never thought I would sense that presence again. And once she said this, I go, okay, it's gotta be Pan because if it was an Artemis thing, she would have said something else. Obviously there's an Artemis link to Pan but this phrasing, I just thought, okay, this is gotta be pan right right then percy asks what presence and she looks at him very reminiscent of the thalia situation where she's surprised that percy doesn't know this she stares at him as the book says quote like i was an idiot and says the lord of the wild capital w of course just for a moment in the arrival of the boar i felt the presence of pan and that's the end of the chapter and that is so cool and it makes sense and it's one of those things where i immediately wanted to reread the chapter i guess by doing this we kind of did so it was nice and i guess you can even hear in this episode of why i was putting together more things i was definitely not as confident in the pan stuff but reading it back it's way more obvious after you know of course i think it makes for a really fun situation and i've never done this with a lot of books at all but i feel like the percy jackson books are ripe for rereading i feel like they got to be so good for planting seeds because stuff like that is so fun I know Grover's not real, but I'm just so happy for my friend Grover. I know. Like, finally, he gets his bit of pan that he's been looking I for his whole him. life. It's very The Adventure Zone to me. Ooh. Have you have you listened to The Adventure Zone? I have, yes. I've listened to three seasons of it. To Balance. Balance, okay, yeah. The big season, right? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, and it's very Merle. Gets his moment with his god. You're right. You're right. Merle's a big pan follower. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's good. I cannot not hear pan. <laughs> like in my head, the way he says it when I see your pan, it's ruined it. Ruined pan for me forever. Ruined question mark, you know. Yeah, ruined in the best way, just like you said. Yeah. But I'm, I'm very excited for Grover. I think this is really, really cool. And it makes me very excited to get into chapter 13 to see what's going on. Is Grover going to explain a little bit more? What was causing him to moan? Not like a happy moan, but like it wasn't, it doesn't seem like that was painful anymore. Is it just like just a complete overload of the senses? Is this the first time Grover's had any sort of whiff of pan at all? So it just was this euphoria that he could not contain and it was just so powerful that he collapsed. It made me very, very interested to just kind of, okay, now that pan's in play, how does pan work? And I guess this is just my engineering brain where I just always like to know the rules of stuff and what's in play. I want to know, okay, what's the deal with pan? What's going on? I'm super on the edge of my seat. Me too. I'm excited. I'm going to keep reading it. Yes. I think every guest, especially for the third book, I think every guest who's been on, because I don't require people to read the whole book or whatever but most people are like yeah i'll read up until these chapters or i'll read these chapters in the one before and after or whatever just to get a base and not spoil like you had said earlier i think every guest that i've had on for book three has either gone on to or says that they will go on to read the rest of the book and it makes sense because when i was getting to this book i feel like a lot of the listeners were saying i don't know that three is the best book or their favorite book but everybody says three is when stuff really starts to get real and i'm yes. really feeling that and Of the times so far that I've 
because I always have to stop reading because it makes the podcast better. But with book three, it's been way harder than with the first two books. It's been so much harder. Which, I believe it. <laughs> like Kelly and I have a lot of travel planned up, which is why I'm kind of banking a lot of episodes before we do. So I don't have to record on the road and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But part of it is also if I record a lot of episodes, I can keep reading the book. That's hilarious. Good for you. Get them banked. <laughs> Get them <laughs> yeah, it's banked. It's like a weird thing of my excitement is actually helping my work and really fueling me. So it's going to be okay. But regardless, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for joining for both of these episodes. Again, if people want to find you doing stuff or if you want to shout out LeakyCon where we will both be in Denver, Colorado in October. Um, Yeah, just at Melissa and Ellie on Twitter or Instagram. You can find whatever I'm doing. I link there. So follow me there and catch all the stuff. Amazing, amazing. Well, thank you again for joining. Listeners, thanks for listening. And until next time, as we figure out what are the rules of Pan, until then, I'll see you later. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of The New Stolympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schuber. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor is Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Campamanas and Brandon Grugel, and the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. In case you haven't heard, we have lots of TNO live shows coming up. You can get tickets to all of those upcoming shows at thenewsolympian.com slash live. If you're all caught up in the show and you just can't get enough, I'd recommend checking out our Patreon. At thenewsolympian.com slash Patreon, you can get access to a bunch of bonus content. You'll also be able to watch that Hades the Video Game stream that Steven Para and I are doing slash have done, depending on when you're listening to this. And you'll also get access to our Discord community, which is a lot of fun. If you're looking to find other communities that aren't linked to the Patreon, you can find us on social media. We're at Newest Olympian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And we also have a subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash the Newest Olympian. And I also just launched a TikTok that is being run by Sherry. It's at Newest Olympian as well. I'd also love to give a big shout out to our producer level patrons, Lotta Bartova, Kelsey Gillespie, The Damn Steam Nuggets, Emma Cooey, Vicky Garcia, Ellie Hauskovchova, Veronica Bartova, Haley Hastings, Robin Garcia, Frida Vickstrom, Megan Moon, Tough Bay Fong, Moo Moo Productions, Olivia Y, Craig McRoberts, Taylor Payne, Giselle Salvador, Can't I Seaweed Brain, Peter Johnson, The Twin, Sabrina Balsiger, Bony Pony, Heather McMillan, Casey Williams, Polly Burge, Nikki Harris, Tatiana Schmidt, Sandra Rose, Bridget Lowry, Josh Sayer, Josh Wilkie, Abby Ryan, Wise Girl, Ashton Gabrielson, Colby, Marco Redhouse, Falcon Joey, James Christopher, William Boucher, Lux, Caden Max, Sam Sam Reby, Carly Allen, Riley Kitas, Mary Kelly, Audra McKenzie, Mrs. O'Leary, Aaron Wood, Tyler Hendricks, Molly Snyder, Rodith Kalna, Milo Kim, Fred Cabras, Harlan Christ, CC Reads 23, Sandkopf, Julia Kendall, ML Oscar Thomason, Noah Bunker, Liz Cardigan, Shatsabobs, Miss Zeus's Kid, Michelle Spurgeon, and Zachary Hamilton. If you want to help out the show non-monetarily, the best way to do so is via word of mouth. Whether you tell someone about the show who you think would like the show, someone who loves Percy Jackson, or someone who's been looking for an excuse to read Percy Jackson, or if you talk about us on social media, or if you leave us a rating and review on whatever podcasting app you're using, any of those help, and I appreciate anyone who has done or will do those in the future. But I'm just so thankful that you listened to this episode, and I hope you tune into our next episode, which will be live audio from the TNL live show we did in New York City with special guest Stephen Parra and Sherry Guo for the Q&A, and we will be discussing chapter 13 of Percy Jackson and the Titan's Curse. But until then, I will Percy you later. Hey everyone, how's it going? It's me, ASMR Mike. So for this ASMR Mike segment, what I'm going to do is uh, walk across the floor here of the bedroom I'm in. It's a little bit creaky, so we're going to get some creaky ASMR. I'm going to pick up the microphone, so if there's some interesting cable moving noises, I apologize, and I'll try to edit them out. Thanks so much for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.